Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. As developers try to navigate the ever-changing world of COVID-19 and its impact on balancing sustainability with new health concerns, Brownstein shareholder Diane DeFelice joins Lori Moffitt-Felberg, Senior Principal at Dahlin Group Architecture, for a series of discussions on how design is adapting. Their first episode covers how the pandemic may affect real estate sectors differently depending on product type and location. Measures to combat health issues could shift trends such as reduced square footage per person for social distancing, more touchless components, and a focus on ventilation, as well as what implications these will have on affordable housing and the expanding e-commerce market. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. My name is Diane DeFelice, and I'm a shareholder at the Brownstein offices in Los Angeles. Uh, my practice centers around land use and environmental law. And today uh, I am pleased to be joined with my colleague Lori Moffat Felberg at Dolan and Associates, which is an architectural and planning firm. Uh, and we're here to discuss the ever changing world in COVID and how that is affecting uh, builders and developers. Thank you for joining me, Lori, and I'm pleased to welcome you. Thanks, Diane. Glad to be here. Well, we've discussed briefly um, and over the last few weeks the, the, the world's development and changing times, uh, which is forcing builders and developers to balance sustainability uh, while trying to preserve the environment with new health concerns. The health concerns specifically that we're forced to deal with are, you know, the minimal social distancing requirements and less contact with both people and surfaces. And due to the contamination concerns, we have looked at and discussed, you know, Trump's opening up America plan, which is a three phase plan. And also looked at the individual states, uh, including the, some of the Western States Pact, which basically involves uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and Nevada, and looked to, to compare how you know, individual clients and jurisdictions have to balance not only what the federal government is doing and the, the edicts that are being um, forced on us nationwide, but also look to individual states and local folks to see how they're treating individual jurisdictions where you might have buildings. And I'm curious, Lori, to see how your practice, which is architecture and planning, has dealt with some of these differences in jurisdictions and how it is affected and impacted your clients and look to see some guidance that perhaps uh, you give clients and, and how to move forward uh, given the restrictions on uh, social distancing and, and health considerations. So there's really two things going on. One is the workplace environment. And um, we just did, uh, we sent out to all staff a survey trying to get a pulse of how do people really feel about coming back to an office space? What are their concerns? Um, how do they feel about social distancing, the environment that they're going to be sitting in when they come back, phasing people coming back to an office? And so I think that the idea that you reach out 
and give your employees some anonymity where they can be just really honest about the fact that there may be some lingering fear with people before they come back to an office setting. We've seen a trend in office space of reduced per employee square footage over the last decade. That obviously is going to reverse itself as social distancing and the six foot rule really comes into play. The open offices where a lot of shared workstations, a lot of shared small gathering spaces for collaboration, we'll all have to figure out how do you still foster that collaboration when you're not, you know, standing right next to people or sitting right next to people leaning over the same computer monitor. So that's going to have to be addressed through um, thoughtful layout of the office space. And I think that uh, at some point we are going to see, you know, we're going to go from our single digits of folks really telecommuting and working from home, mostly full time to a pretty good population of folks that say, hey, you know, I was really effective and efficient working from home. Why do I need to drive an hour, hour and a half to look at a different computer monitor? I'd really like to work from home two, three, four, five days a week and still um, advance my career. So all of those things are going to have to layer together as we move forward in into reimagining our office space and how do we give people that social distancing. The, um, the other thing that may come into play is starting to change out materials and, and components of buildings, a lot more touchless sensors. You know, obviously we've had um, faucets and daylight sensors and things like that in buildings for a long time now, but um, maybe voice activated elevator controls. And when you do have to touch something, are we going to pivot back to antimicrobial materials such as copper and bronze and things like that. So there's a there's going to be a lot of looking at sustainable practices, whether it's air exchanges, you know, just cranking the fans on and getting fresh air through the building, all the way to those little items that come in contact with people's hands every day in the workplace. So I think as we address that, we have to look at the big picture and the very small touch side of architecture. Right. And, the, you know, it's interesting how you say that, uh, you know, employees are not objecting. Morgan Stanley came out, uh, you know, a, a week ago and said, you know, they have 80,000 employees and they're not shying away from their real estate, you know, or going back to the office. They see shrinking of their uh, needs for office space and shifting their workforce to at home, you know, as a potential result of the pandemic. So uh, I think people, you know, have to look, like you said, at their individual work needs, what their workers are actually incorporating. And then on the builder side of it and the, you know, the landlord tenant side, if you have office buildings, um, other types of space, how are your tenants going to embrace, you know, the return to work and addressing some of the infrastructure differently, as you mentioned. Um, I think that's very insightful as to, you know, everybody's going to be concerned with ventilation while the science supports that it is an airborne disease. So the, you know, I mean, in, in spaces such as, you know, if you're in a more suburban area, windows will be able to be opened. But if you're in a downtown 35, 40 story office building, you know, opening an office building window isn't a possibility. So how will those HVAC systems be 
refurbished or redesigned and, um, you know, which brings us to, you know, the density question and how we see folks dealing with, you know, the, the difference now in social distancing, which brings more emphasis on spaces apart rather than converging like New York or Los Angeles in one area where you're, you know, the social spacing is very difficult. You know, one of the office building things I think that folks are wrestling with is phasing of employees back because you you cannot have everybody coming to an office building um, at the same time. So with respect to design, as you mentioned, materials, how do you see a different kind of building? Like, let's say it's a, you know, you know, from a dense area to a suburban area, perhaps you incorporate design differences? Or are you seeing that, you know, do you see that Perhaps people will move away from cities and, you know, for the time being, for the next 18 months to two years. How do you see the density issue because of the building design currently affecting cities? And then the next question would be, do you see an exodus from the cities because of the immediate pandemic health concerns? You know, um, in terms of people, you know, shying away from cities. I don't know that the the pandemic is going to be enough to empty out our, our core cities that have enjoyed such a rejuvenation over the last 10, 15 years. There is, however, greater emphasis on both public space and private space where you can be apart but together. And so what I mean by that is, um, opportunities for people to just, as you said, open a window and enjoy the fresh air, not only in their workplace, but in their homes. And so I think that employers need to look at what they're offering their employees in terms of the workplace sense of distance and fresh air and all those other things. Can it beat what they're getting at home? Are you able to either take advantage of or retrofit your buildings for beefed up HVAC, operable windows, which have been taboo for many, many years in office building design. Um, Look in San Francisco, all the older buildings there that don't even have air conditioning. You really are just opening your window, but then you're dealing with street noise and everything else. So there's so many different variables in our existing office stock and how that's going to be addressed. But it does come down to the pathway into the building too. Once people get to work, and everybody's starting, how are you going to have, you know, a a 60,000 square foot office building full of workers coming and going? They can't all go in the elevator at once. You'll have to provide areas where people can wait and queue up or whatever the mechanism is. You get people to their place of business in a shared um, tenant situation. I do want to go back to something, though, that started to, to drift into housing a little bit. Because I think the a lot of things I'm hearing and, and experiencing from conversations and reading about is the idea of, you know, the operable windows, that little little bit of balcony space that is yours to enjoy and get outside and get some fresh air in a city environment. As a company, we do a tremendous amount of, of housing, multifamily housing, and then affordable housing. And as you know, um, our costs per unit of affordable housing, particularly in California, are just astronomical to build. So we had actually started to see a trend towards 
eliminating private balconies in favor of common amenity space. And I think we're going to be rethinking that as people look to having that opportunity to have some outdoor space of their own, yet be able to see um, their neighbors, see um, a common event, maybe a birthday party in the common area, or overlook a, a public street where there's a coffee shop or something down below so they can still feel connected to other people. That's going to be really important, and we'll have to figure out how to crack that nut in our age of very high construction costs. Right. I think the common area space, you know, versus having your own private area is going to have to be weighed very carefully, especially with affordable units, because the, you know, the, the cost itself of adding those to any multifamily building structure is between 500 in California, it can be between 500,000 to a million dollars, depending upon, you know, where you're located. And I think affordable now is so behind, it's going to have to take uh, a huge uh, leap with the health risks, you know, that, that are being discussed and how to prevent, you know, exposing multifamily structures to, you know, additional liability even, or additional concerns, you know, which will affect if you have additional concerns with a building and you're trying to lease it or sell it, you know, it's going to affect the value. So I think these are all really good um, things to consider in marketing and, you know, how as planners, we approach development in the future. And just to be prepared while the issues are, you know, being batted around the cage, so to speak, you know, you just are going to have to be nimble and responsive in a very short time span, especially if your projects are in the works now or, you know, ready to go to hearing. Uh, I think it is a, a very, it's, it provides a lot of opportunity if developers are flexible, I think, you know, and we did discuss uh, the impact on the need for space, but it is going to be interesting to see, as you discussed, whether employers as tenants are going to want more or less square footage per worker. I mean, I think that is a really, um, you know, we've gone from having the office buildings have virtually no parking spaces because we want to reduce vehicle miles traveled. But how is that going to affect the, the office buildings and parking and, and the issues that we thought pre-pandemic were in the can and, you know, this is what we're doing going forward, those may change as well. And I think, you know, the, the one thing that we have seen a rise of, you know, in terms of industrial development is now mail, right? E-commerce delivery. So it, it will be interesting. Do you agree or what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the effect of e-commerce on industrial development and um, where those might be placed? Do you think that those are going to be, you know, in areas outside of a city just because of the density? Or do you think that they will have those huge distribution facilities that you see, you know, along the five freeway in California um, staying there and still using trucks. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, those are questions that folks have to consider in this time. Well, it is interesting because it, it's also interrelated, right? So if you 
say that we're going from single digit telecommuters to let's just say 20, 25% of the workforce does a major um, percentage of their time telecommuting. How many cars is that taking off the road? So if you take that many cars off the road and with the rise of e-commerce, I mean, I, quite frankly, I'd done a little bit before, but wow, I've discovered groceries and everything else online right now for not only myself, but for extended family members. And so the convenience of that, um, I don't think is going to go away. A lot of folks had been doing it before, but now it really is tied in. So a couple things affect architectural design right there. In addition to the distribution centers and the bringing of the goods to your location, is your location going to be home or work? And what's the secure drop facility at either your home or work? Um, I know a lot of our employees have their orders shipped directly to the office because they're there during the day, they come in the front door, they pick them up on their way out, and they don't necessarily have a secure location where they live. Fast forwarding to new design of residential communities, for a long time, we've been adding uh, parcel pending lockers and different systems into multifamily buildings. I think we're going to see more and more of that occur. And they take some space um, because as more and more folks want to use them, if you're in a, you know, 100, 120, 140, 200 unit um, multifamily building, Whereas you might have been able to get away with you know, maybe 10 to 20 lockers before. Look at the percentage that you're need to, going to need to be able to increase that to service your residents. And so it will affect architecture. It will also affect how people select where they're going to live if there's an opportunity to support them in that. Um, and if they're not going to the office, I think the space within the home itself to be able to comfortably work, not just convert a bedroom or a little wide spot in your hall, but to actually work from home, preserve your income and have a career or a job that can flourish from your place of residence is going to become more and more important. Right. And maybe maybe the federal government can loosen up the requirements on your taxes, right? <laughs> of deducting part of your home for office office use. But um, I think the, the interesting part of that is how to deal with in the future, the parcel pending lockers, you know, if you're in a multifamily or, you know, what about providing those Amazon drop spaces, right? Or the pickups, like those holding facilities that they have around, find your, you know, local area. Because, you know, again, it's going to be for the next immediate future, you know, 12, 18 months, two years, how do you decontaminate or people that are concerned or, you know, if you're a sensitive receptor in this instance for the pandemic, it would be somebody who has an immune compromised system. You know, you, how do you deal with those folks? You know, you can't design a building around, you know, your most sensitive portion of occupancy, but you certainly need to provide security and a level of comfort to folks so that you are containing the common areas with healthy procedures and safe procedures for them to use those areas. Otherwise, they make no sense. So uh, anyway, I see that we are at the end of our time on the podcast. And I want to thank you so much, Lori, for offering your insight and vision. 
and it's always uh, enjoyable to hear your perspective on the ground. Um, our next pod series uh, will be on dealing with infrastructure and public space. And how is that going to be changed or, or accommodated with our new social distancing and um, health concerns involving masks, as well as mass transit? And how do all of those affected areas, um, which are part of designs uh, that are currently being considered and presented, uh, how will those fare in the future? So thank you again, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Great. Thank you, Diane. I enjoyed being here and look forward to our next uh, podcast together. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farbershreck podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.